Welcome to the regular podcast from Editorial Intelligence, the media analysis and networking business. You can see all our broadcast interviews on our EITV channel on YouTube and editorialintelligence.com. Well, thank you all very much for getting up early and coming on your own steam or on the EI on the move bus down to this wonderful place. So without further ado, here is the woman who has inspired so many children and young people to rebuild their lives and so many grown-ups to help them do that. Camilla. Thank you everyone for coming here today. And I just want to give you a sense of where you are. This is one of the kids' company street-level centers, and it caters for 2,200 children and some parents who are seeking help. Obviously, they don't all arrive at the same time, but in a given week, we're seeing about 800 children here. And on a given day, we're feeding about two to 300 of them every day here through that little kitchen. And the reason we created this environment is because we realized that there are large numbers of children who despite profound love for their parents aren't really being taken care of appropriately because the parental carer for legitimate reasons of their own isn't able to honor the childhood of that child. And the impact is catastrophic. 60% of the children who arrive here aren't even registered with a GP. 84% arrive homeless, having run away from family abuse. 83% are multiply traumatized, many of them having experienced numerous incidents of stabbings, shootings, and significant levels of uh, catastrophic domestic violence. 81% are addicted to substances when they arrive, and 90% of them tell us that it was their family members who got them on drugs. And finally, 82%, because they're not coping, often turn to crime as a survival means. I haven't yet, in 14 years of running Kids Company, come across a child who chose to be a criminal. What I have seen, because now we've met thousands of children and been intimately introduced to their lives, what I have seen is courageous and extraordinarily dignified children struggling as best as possible to survive the savage environments we've created for them. And just in case you think that the experience of Kids Company is exceptional, I want to share with you some national statistics. 1.5 million children in this country are being abused and neglected. These are not my figures. They are the Economics Foundation figure and Action for Children. If you look at the Office of National Statistics, some 550,000 children every year are referred to child protection systems for abuse and neglect. But we are so under-resourced that only about 35 to 38,000 of them get on the register. Once on the register, a social worker will have a caseload of 24 of these very serious cases and probably get round to seeing four of them a week. Both for the child and the social worker, this is a dysfunctional construct. It's dysfunctional for the child because the child does not need 
one professional appointment a week. That doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't solve the fact that they don't have underwear, toothbrush, no food to eat, no one to go to the school meeting, the shame of no one paying for the school journey when the whole class is going on it, the shame of having to manage your mother when she's in a drunken state and screaming the house down. One appointment with a social worker a week, if you're lucky enough to get it, doesn't solve that problem. And for the social worker, it means going home at night in a state of extraordinary anxiety, not knowing whether the other 20 cases she hasn't got round or he hasn't got round to seeing are going to blow up into something catastrophic for which they're going to be plastered all over the newspapers. So I'm suggesting to you that we need a paradigm shift. It is fact that 90% of children we have in custody have mental health problems and the majority have social care issues which haven't been addressed early enough. It is also true that as a nation we don't notice vulnerable children until they impact negatively the quality of our lives and it's at that point that society is mobilized and it's mobilized really in the service of the voter i.e. protecting the person who has been harmed. And I am all for people protecting the people who have been harmed. But I want to share one truth with you, which is that the child who ends up harming the voter's quality of life was also someone who needed to be protected against harm. And we didn't do that properly. Now, what I think we should do is that we need to create centers like this at street level where they're open seven days a week, and we are open seven days a week. Our children have access to us 24 hours through a phone line because they have the numbers of their key workers. And believe me, they use those numbers with integrity and respect. But it means the eight-year-old who's living on his own with his mom and his mom attempted suicide was able to call us after he called the emergency services and the key workers were there with the child when the mother was taken into the ambulance. So centers like this at street level, where the staff function in a parenting capacity, being in the life of the child, giving that child the resilience that they need. Children can stay home with parents, provided the parents aren't catastrophically abusing them, but the parent can be encouraged to re-engage with the child. And if that doesn't happen, the child doesn't continue paying the price. We have these centers then attached in local authorities to social work departments and mental health departments, and all the children that all the professionals are really worried about can become members and be looked after at the centers. Finally, to conclude, this model does get results. We have been independently evaluated on numerous occasions. Every single evaluation consistently and independently of each other come up with outcomes of between 80 to 100% using this way of working. And to conclude, what brain research is showing us is that the challenge disturbed children are facing is an incapacity to regulate emotion and energy. And that repair that needs to happen to give the brain the ability to manage its own feelings and emotions and to regulate itself cannot be affected unless that missing substantial maternal care is put back into that child's life. I would argue that no one said your mother 
only needed to be biological. That biological bond is profound and it belongs to the mother and the child. But it is true that a community can reparent a child and give that child genuine opportunities to access resources in the outside world. So what I want from you is to walk away from here and think that accepting child abuse and disturbed children as something that we can't do anything about is much more about our failure in imagination than the children's crime. Thank you very much. So why isn't government going to pay for hundreds of street-level places like this if you do get into government, David? <laughs> Very good. I shall make an instant commitment to spend billions. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, that was ironic. Um, <laughs> uh, it's a real privilege to be here, actually, with the, at the Kids' Company, which is done, doing such a fantastic and such an important job. Um, what I'd like to do is just take it into the, into the kind of the current politics of, uh, of what we do about children. And I was shocked, as I think virtually everyone in the whole country was shocked, to see the figures coming out from UNICEF a couple of years ago now, showing that we were absolutely at the bottom of the child well-being in, in, I think it's 21 or 22 richest countries uh, in the world. And it, the, the government's response to that, uh, w when taxed, is say, well, these figures, uh, these figures are out of date now and things have changed. And I think uh, one can suspend judgment on that, uh, especially when one looks around, when one does not get the impression that there's been a, a big leap in, in child well-being in the last decade or so in, uh, in this country. The, so, I mean, there is a lot to prove if, if we are no longer to be at the bottom of those tables. And the government strategy has been, or the government that has just finished strategy, has, just, has been to tackle this problem through attacking child poverty. Um, and it defines this in a purely relative way, uh, i.e. there's a very precise definition, which is um, if you are less than 60% of the median income, that household is in child poverty. Um, there's the income measure, there's material deprivation measure, but it's a very, it's a, it's a relative measure. And the 60% figure has achieved some kind of academic consensus as to being the right one. And I'm not quite sure why it's achieved that consensus. And I was very interested to see what, what's happening in other European countries. In Germany, for instance, the, um, the, the Supreme Court has suddenly has ruled that the government must stop these arbitrary benefit payments. They've actually got to go to what they call dignified minimums. So uh, minimum income levels, which is quite a lot of research done, which of course are higher than our benefit levels and our poverty levels indeed, um, 
uh, is the criteria that the German government has been told they have got to start using as the minimum levels of benefits. Um, it's much more important uh, when we look at um, um, child poverty to tackle not income differentiations but to try and tackle the causes of the poverty and this is where companies like the kids company is driving in to get at the kids who are in difficult situations uh, appalling situations in many cases and try and get them out of them and we try to insert these when I say we, we the, the conservative party try to insert some of these uh, um, causes into the bill so that there was a real attempt to drive at these causes and we tried to put in four I mean I'm not saying that these are the only ones these are the ones that we concentrated on um, and the first one uh, was family stability that we should start to really try and, reinf uh, and measure family stability uh, and target that as a desirable uh, for children um, it was very interesting that the Child Poverty Action Group did a very sophisticated piece of analysis, concluded, and I just read out what they said, they said that the effect of separation on a couple, whether they were married or cohabiting, in terms of increasing the risk of poverty, was much greater than for any of the other triggers. Um, and I know there's been a lot of focus on the Conservative plans to reinforce marriage and the tax system but equally important has been trying uh, our strategy to get rid of the material uh, couple um, um, penalty in the benefits and tax credit system in practice a couple is 1300 pounds better off when they're in those when they're in that system separating than living together. We're actually putting an effective um, um, disincentive of £1,300 for people to stay together. Um, the second area to worry about is, is work. Um, and we've now got a large number of people, and we have structurally a large number of people uh, who are basically not involved in any economic activity and we have got a benefit system which encourages people or has encouraged people uh, or prevented people from looking for work. If you're on IB you actually um, you know you risk your whole uh, way of life and benefit if you go if you do some work and um, so the strategy of trying to get as many people off those inactive benefits into active benefits, whether it's JSA or the Employment and Support Allowance, um, means that then we can put resources behind getting them back into the world of work on a sustained basis. Uh, that agenda clearly is closely tied to another one uh, in that people's skills have got to be enhanced. That's the, one of the huge weaknesses of our economy is that many too few people have got skill levels compared with people in European and other competitor countries. Uh, we're pretty good at top level skills. We're, we're really bad 
in terms of having people at the unschooled level who should have a level of intermediate skills. And then finally, we need a better strategy on addiction, and whether that's to drugs uh, or alcohol. And it's interesting that the example that one of the examples Camilla was giving was, you know, the the, the mother in a, in a drunken rage. Households who, who are problem who have who are problem users of alcohol or drugs um, account for no fewer than one and a half million children in this country. Uh, so it's no good piling money into those households uh, willy-nilly because that money will simply never get to the uh, intended recipient, the child. So, in conclusion, in this, in this opening remarks, we have a long, long way to go um, if we are going to succeed in this country in making sure that our children have the levels of well-being uh, that are seen in other countries, rich countries of the world. Mary. Um, thanks very much. And uh, could I just start by saying, by adding uh, my voice to David's and saying what an honour it is to be here today to see uh, Camilla's project. She has done the most wonderful work, I think, giving voice to the voiceless, making politicians see those sort of things that they don't want to, and long may it continue. Um, I was very struck by Julia's introduction too. the... Uh, Lib Lab Pact and Volcanic Ash to read today's papers. One wonders whether they are not going to end up very shortly as one and the same thing. Um, it is election time, as uh, nobody here needs telling. And I think one of the big issues that's emerged so far is um, community cohesion, the compact between the citizen and the state for the Conservatives. That's David Cameron's big or not so big idea, the big society and what it will mean, whether it's mass privatisation of public services, whether it's running society on the lines of a kind of giant Meals on Wheels service, uh, whether volunteer groups can be scaled up to do the work required and whether the public wants um, the effort uh, that that would involve. Labour's version is the John Lewis or the Stakeholder Society, Shareholder Society, Stakeholder was, um, uh, was last time round, but in fact they're more or less the same thing, I think. Uh, that goes back to Labour's tradition of, of mutuals and uh, so on, um, sure start social care would ideally, they say, be run on a more mutual basis. Uh, state money would be used, but uh, better than it is now. Um, as all these tentative plans are talked about, um, children, as ever in election campaigns, are the ones who are not spoken of, and yet, of course, they are at the centre of every community. Um, I believe that it all went wrong for children on the day that James Bolger died in 1993. Uh, John Major, who was then the Prime Minister, said the time had come to condemn a little more and to understand a little less. And Tony Blair, who was the Shadow Home Secretary of the time, warned of impending moral chaos. Um, 1993, I think, and James Borger's killing, ushered in a sort of twin-track childhood, uh, divided between the good and the bad, the virtuous and the evil. Uh, it, we became a society, I think, in which children 
uh, were judged to be the enemy. The result of that was that generation was set against generation and communities, I think, more divided than they'd been for many years. Um, both parties, I think, were complicit in what happened. Um, Louise is here. I know she can't talk today, but my argument would be that the respect agenda, Tony Blair's respect agenda, was in many ways not beneficial at all. We saw the introduction of ASBOs and the entry into the criminal justice system of many children who would remain in that system for life. Um, children in custody almost doubled in the space of a decade, and the, leaving, the, uh, leaving the UK as the biggest uh, incarcerator of children in Western Europe. Um, recently, that's changed rather, I think. There's been rather less sort of political hot breath around, around children. They've been slightly less demonised. The Youth Justice Board um, has done some good work. Uh, the PM is not that interested in crime. He's made a couple of speeches, but left to his own devices, he probably wouldn't. And I think that's sort of been uh, moderately useful too, simply, if only because it's taken some hysteria out of the debate, uh, partly as a consequence of that, I think, uh, youth custody has, uh, rates have started to fall for the first time in many years, but now it is, of course, election time, and it's time to talk tough again. So for Gordon Brown, it is back to ASBOs. Um, for David Cameron, there are very mixed messages, I think, but I would ask you just to focus on his ideas for knife crime, the idea that you lock up everybody found in possession of a knife. I mean, Camilla could speak about this much more knowledgeably than I can, but I imagine that that would impact um, predominantly on young people, as Camilla um, suggested earlier or explained earlier, there is very, very little, an incredibly thin dividing line between the victim and the aggressor, uh, between the child who sets out for whatever reason to frighten somebody and the child who lives himself or herself in fear. I think really for any political party to suggest that they're going to devote the 330 million that it would require to put that into operation, uh, build the two very large new jails required to warehouse all these people, um, is uh, not uh, in the business of developing humane policy. Um, so, community cohesion, the buzzword for this election, um, we'll see. Uh, I mean, I do think the Conservative Party has some answers, and David's alluded to some of them. For me, marriage in the ta uh, 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 um, uh, favouring married couples in the tax system, giving them tax breaks, is not the answer. I don't think anyone gets or stays married uh, for three pounds a week. And I don't think, to judge by the report uh, that was out yesterday, it's necessarily as clear-cut as is sometimes said that children in marriages, um, stable marriages, uh, develop um, much better than those brought up in other families. Um, so uh, I think that, uh, that that's questionable. Also, I think the Child Poverty Action Group would say that, money, that, that it is absolutely vital to put money into a household, that money that goes sort of directly to a family, whatever its constitution, and the child is going to 
uh, have the most effect in alleviating child poverty. Um, anyway, we are not there yet, I don't think. I don't think either party has developed or indeed been pressed to develop sufficiently its policies for children. You can't, in my view, have good communities without those good policies for children. Uh, so when the candidates uh, appear on your doorstep, those are the questions, I think, that we should be asking them. Thank you. I'm going to ask Louise Casey, who's just sitting there, uh, in a personal capacity. I mean, it seems to me that, Louise, part of the challenge is for, if you like, the policymakers above the volcanic ash to come into ground level underneath it, and you have done a lot of work on that. How does the policies reach the ground? Can I just say something about Louise? Louise has been incredibly helpful to Kids' Company actually uh, you know within the limits of what she could do in office and I'm very grateful she exercised great moral courage in getting us the first uh, home office funding at a time when actually local authorities were briefing against us uh, because we'd grown on the patch and the numbers that the local authority were communicating to central government clearly were not correct because at the time we had hundreds of children with us with no education and nowhere to go. So uh, I, I really welcome Louise here because I think you were very brave when most people were cowards. Well, thanks, Camilla. Um, um, I, I knew that coming here this morning was uh, going to be a mistake <laughs> um, because apart from seeing Camilla and Julia, which is always an absolute pleasure, um, but because actually I absolutely can't say anything at all, I don't think, and I now feel... Uh, I desperately want to say what I think about what everybody has just said, but I can't and I won't. It would be wrong of me to do that. That's not my role currently. I am leaving shortly the civil service to be the country's um, first commissioner for victims, where I will be able to hopefully um, be again in an environment like this and be able to take part in that debate. I want to say, though, and Camilla, you kind of stole my thunder there, actually, which is the thing I wanted to say, Julia, is first of all... Um, I just wanted to say to everybody, I've looked at the cast list here today and not many, haven't met many of you in person but know exactly who you are and what matters here this morning is that something like Kids Company's voice is heard um, and um, also she has to raise an awful lot of money to keep this show on the road. So I'm going to keep this really simple, Julia. One, you have to, regardless of your political viewpoint, what Kids Company does is important and needs to continue. And secondly, that woman over there who is rather wonderful herself has to actually raise an awful lot of money to keep this show on the road and anything you can do to help with that would be a marvellous and wonderful thing. Nothing I've said so far will get me in trouble, Julia, and therefore I come out of this relatively unscathed. Your thunder, he's promised billions on the record. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. There is, there is no Chatham House rules when politicians make commitments about money. Thank you. Now, just before we come out to the floor, as it were, Camilla, do you feel reassured by David, apart from David personally being wonderful and being here? I mean, are the policymakers getting it, or really, do they still not get it? I, I think that David has a very clear heart, <coughs> but I have to say that when I hear about married couples, and I think 99% of the children at Kids' Company don't have a safe adult around them, i.e. it's often better for their single parent
to have moved away from the other party because the other party was dangerous or high risk or put the child at risk. I just feel that when you talk about married couples, you're leaving out such large numbers of children whose family circumstances are completely different. And they feel they're not reflected in the narrative of politics today. They feel that they're completely invisible and the conversation is about a middle-class conception of family life, really, and they're not in that bracket. So, who would like to make a contribution, say who you are, keep your point brief or your question? And everybody knows that I pick on people if you don't put your hand up, so... Mike McClay, who are you? And give us a point of view. Michael McClay, I chair something called the Citizenship Foundation, and we're interested in the questions each of you have been speaking to, but from the point of view of education. Uh, there was a huge innovation a few years ago in the <coughs> national curriculum, the introduction of citizenship education, which tried to get young people themselves to come to grips with these questions. Quite difficult, but it works when there is a good, trained, experienced, confident teacher. <coughs> Excuse me. The case law so far is mixed. There have been successes, there have been failures, I would say. A third of heads get it, a third don't, um, and a third it's all to play for. But the, the trend is that young people are coming forward uh, with ideas about it can have to do with race, it can have to do with bullying, it can have to do with substances, um, but giving them the confidence, which is a different pedagogic approach to what most of education is about, is, I think, showing you know, distinct sign, encouraging signs. Whichever government we have the next few years, it will be crucial. This subject will either prosper and grow, uh, or it will be strangled at birth. My question to each of you is, Camilla, to what extent that world of education impinges on the young people you have to do with it. It's a very large part of their waking life, but is it a generally unsatisfactory part, and how far do you create relationships with heads, with teachers, with teaching assistants, that you're then able to build on in the way you conduct your work? David, when you um, talked about, you know, there are four areas, I thought education would figure. We got a bit on skills, but my concern with the Tory party's approach to education and the rather splendid Govist view that there is a core curriculum and we must discard what doesn't matter, um, you might just throw away baby with bathwater if the idea of citizenship education is seen as too Californian or too soft or too politically correct. Actually, there are hard-edged questions of responsibility, commitment and rights that I think a Tory government should be interested in. And, and Mary, journalists generally rather dismiss this area as soft because they don't want see, to be seen themselves as being soft. But citizenship is about identity, it's about commitment, it's about engagement, things that journalists themselves champion, and yet there's been a bit of a blind spot there so far. Okay, so quick responses, and then we're going to come to Octavius Black of the Mind Gym. Uh, Camilla first on education. Yeah. What you describe is very important and has a lot to offer to the child who can still themselves sufficiently to make use of it. Educational failure, actually the majority of it resides in children who are in such conditions of neurochemical terror that they even can't calm down to take learning in. And it's not until we help children through robust care 
to achieve the emotional and physiological equilibrium that they need, i.e. to be still enough to engage in learning, that we're going to be able to address this. So what I'm saying to you is what you have on offer is great, but not for the kind of kids I've got when they first come to us. They can't relate to it. They're in a space where they're thinking about survival and they're not remotely interested in where their citizenship stands until they can get round to surviving. David and Mary, is that why, I mean, is citizenship also pushed down the rankings because it's not on the critical front end of things? Well, uh, I mean, one of the things you have to, to, to worry about is, is, is this idea of, you know, if, if you have specified curriculum to the nth degree, you just, you just trap all the schools in, in the 40,000 bits of paper, uh, which, which was so famously quoted last week by everyone, the, uh, except Gordon Brown. What I, I think four thousand emails is that right to teachers? 4, yeah, it was forty thousand bits of paper. I think was the uh, was, yeah, if I remember right. Uh, I think that was both Clegg and Cameron um, to, to to head to head teachers. I think there is a. I think Camilla makes a very good point. There there are different needs at different levels. I think there's one very large group, just looking at the education area, where. Uh, people are turned off school not because they've got the kind of profound problems that, that Camilla's dealing with but because they are just completely hacked off with the whole thing because they can't see any point, it's very academic and um, one of the most interesting things that, that uh, is interesting that, that Kent is doing for instance is pulling the vocational training right back down to 14 and at that stage, people can see, right, I'm going to be a bricklayer. I need to be able to work out how much concrete you need, you know, how to get the volumes of concrete in. So you suddenly say maths has got, a, got, got some relevance. And I think uh, getting some of that tiered type of education in at, at, at younger and younger levels so for, for, for the kind of things that people want to do will, will, will pull some of the, some of the hacked-off generation back in. I, I do think, as Camilla says, the, the issue of the, the people that she's worrying about is a different issue again. Uh, citizenship, I think, um, if it is robustly presented, as you just did, uh, you should be working on, uh, you know, on the schools themselves to get them to realize this is a valuable thing for their children and they will benefit from it. And those schools where it's relevant and useful, and for those children where it's relevant and useful, uh, you know, it sh should be, um, they, they should be calling to put, use it. Mary? Well, I agree with you, Mike. I think journalists are far too lazy about this. You know, they, they will sort of have a perfunctory exploration of uh, Michael Gove's Swedish model as opposed to Ed Balls, whatever he's saying that week. But really, they haven't address the issue as far as young people are concerned. You know, there's a really kind of lazy emphasis on yobs who are destroying society and wrecking communities and so on. And I think the lack of emphasis on education follows all the way through. I mean, although I don't agree with all of Louise's respect to gender, nobody can deny the sort of 
um, th that she has done a huge amount in that field, which in, in many ways have improved the lives of children. Nobody in education, I think, has been ful fulfilling that sort of troubleshooting um, role at all. We're seeing now that there are volunteering programs mooted by both major political parties, but the consequence of this inaction is that there is um, this huge army, millions of uh, NEETs, it's not a very attractive acronym, but these are children with no education. They are being turned out of our education system at, at frightening rates, and, and these are people who are being propelled into the adult world with absolutely no chances at all. It's not because they're born criminals, because they have some sort of nasty streak or whatever. It's that they're uniquely unqualified to make their way in the adult world. And so I absolutely agree with you that education is at the heart of everything. I mean, Mary, if I could... The stats on this are roughly, because I looked at them a few, a few months ago, you've probably got a, a short million who are claiming as needs, you've probably got more, uh, another 500,000 who don't claim. Of those, the total, who have no education, needs means not in education, the total with no education is probably running, or no, or, or no qualifications, probably running at about 200,000. Uh, so, so, so that's the kind of, that, your problem number is probably around there, of 200,000, without any education at all in your sense. I confess to exaggeration, but I think nonetheless there are an alarming number of children leaving with less than five good, fewer than five good GCSEs. Can I just clarify something, Camilla? Are we talking, you're kind of at a different level to needs, aren't you? You're talking about critical, damaged children that Look, can't, I mean, can you give me... It's all related, right. because be very careful not to perceive needs as some aliens that have come out of nowhere. They lack some basic prerequisites for good reason, and that's my point. What I have seen in the children that we've taken care of is that uh, they couldn't do education because they were surviving childhood, and when you are surviving the blows overnight, you can't get round to doing the geography lesson in the morning because your mind is on something else. And if your mind wasn't on the violence on the night before, you'd be barking mad. So that's my point. That's number one. It's a crazy idea that we think these children can live in these conditions and then turn up at school and be perfectly okay. The second thing is that these are incredibly bright kids. We've got them at the moment to university, but we negotiate with universities to take them without GCSEs or A-levels. So we've got them at Oxford, we've got them at Cambridge, we've got them at London University. Uh, you know, they're doing well. They're doing really well. And we, you know, just 90 out of a cohort of 300 start in September and October, and we help them right through. But the girl or the boy who is at university goes to class, and in their halls of residence, they're still wetting the bed at night because they still have that nightmare. And it's the availability of the key worker at the end of the phone that will allow them to process that, to then be able to go back into the next lecture or whatever. One last thing I want to say to you, out of the government 400 for which we got our funding, i.e. we got funding to work with 400, uh, you know, neats, if you like, or disturbed young people, uh, 189 of them didn't have birth certificates. That means they can't get benefits. 
And that happened because the mum or the dad didn't have a file or a folder to put the birth certificate in. So these are the basics you have to go to before we can, you know, kind of think about it. But I think Mary's absolutely right. I think we really need to think about this group very well. None of us can really imagine what that's like to fall out of the system before you've even begun. Octavius, tell us who you are and what's your view. Hi, good morning. My name is Octavius. I come from the Mind Gym. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit about parenting and ask your views on that. We, uh, after a conversation with Sean Bailey, who runs My Generation, set up a program to improve parenting capabilities and skills for parents in social housing situations. And we just run three pilots in schools in Southwark, in Westminster, in Northern Ireland. And we found an amazing increase, both in the parents' ability, feeling to, to parent, but also in the children's response in terms of going to bed on time and not suffering from headaches and things like that. And therefore, it's, and one mother said that she wouldn't want to rewind her life back by eight weeks to before the program started. So this suggests there's a great appetite for parents to learn how to be better parents when all they've got to learn from is their own parents who perhaps weren't so strong in the first place. And I wanted to ask the panel what you think we should be doing in terms of public policy, in terms of charity, in terms of contributions or examples. People mentioned Sweden a few times already. Um, what we should be doing to help parents become better parents. I want to ask David that first. And I also want to slightly put you on the spot, which is do you concede that it has been the wrong approach to emphasize this married allowance that has both been not just ridiculed but has caused real offense? I mean, how do, you, how do you communicate a priority? Well, and isn't we, that a priority? Well, the priority is, is parenting. Uh, and uh, interestingly, we succeeded in getting that into the bill uh, uh, where A, supporting parents, and B, supporting parents in the role of being parents, not in general schools, but actually in their parenting skills. Uh, is an important um, important function. In, indeed, my my sister is involved. I don't know if she's involved with you in Southwark, uh, Caroline Penny, um, in in parenting. So I know a little bit about it. Um, so I think it is a vital thing. And, and let me. And I think it, uh, without uh, offering the billions that you want, um, yes, ironic. Uh, it, it needs it needs supporting. I think the the thing on um, uh, which, which Julia is trying to pin me down to saying that uh, saying something uh, inappropriate, no doubt. Uh, the thing on <laughs> marriage or appropriately truthful. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I asked about Chatham House rules. Um, the thing about. Um, Having stable two-parent families, clearly the, all the research shows that that is beneficial for children, where you can have it. And clearly you want to send out a signal at every level uh, to encourage uh, the formation and the sticking together of stable families, whether they're married or cohabiting. And I said there's two strands to it. It's, there's the material couple penalty, and that's not, not just married, that's cohabiting couples. Um, uh, so sending that message out and withdrawing the disincentive to stay together 
uh, or actually what we have is a, uh, according to the IFS, we have now got uh, um, 200,000 more single parents than there really are. I mean, because people are claiming to be single because they get 1,300 pounds. I mean, with, with, uh, with all the, the difficulties of, 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 um, of doing that. Um, so we've got a system that, that, that is simply not encouraging stable family formation. And I think at every level we should try and go back to that. And then finally, just to revert to the first point, and helping those parents be good parents should be an important, uh, an important element of government But in policy. terms of a cost to the state mm. of either preventing or coping with the result of these chaotic, unheld children, presumably it would be cheaper to incentivise good parenting and reward good parenting, whether it's single parenting, mm. than it is to promote the nebulous idea that being a married couple is good. Well, I mean, in terms of actually return on investment, which everybody's going to want more of. Does, does, any, does well, anyone else have uh, a... All right, I mean, let me just do some of the statistics on this. R very roughly, if I can get the figures exactly, they may, may not be exactly right. Around, of, of, of couples, I think, of, of a certain number of couples, about 16% or something like 16, 20% are cohabiting, the rest are married. Uh, of the um, children who um, um, are in... In, in families that break up before they're five years old, um, I, I think the figure is 30,000 of those would be from married couples, 90,000 from cohabiting couples, uh, i.e. this much smaller 16 to 20% group is responsible for virtually the whole group. So the breakups going on uh, in, in, in cohabitation... So the calculation is if you have more married parents, you're going to yes. have less... Troubled kids. Well, that's all fine, yeah. isn't it? But yes. I really don't think yeah. you can sort of engineer the families that you, you would sort of most like to see. I mean, I'm hugely in favour of marriage and I'm very in favour of stable relationships and I'm sure everybody is here. But even so, I, I think the idea that people are somehow not getting married because they think they, think they can get a few quid more on benefits and, and, and that somehow their lives are devised to wring as much money out of the state as possible... I mean, I simply don't think that that's the case at all. And I, I think that Octavius's um, parenting group sounds absolutely admirable. If parents are struggling, then I think the idea of giving them um, some help is, is absolutely great. I'm not sure at the sort of, and you're not talking about this, obviously, but punishing parents, you know, when you extrapolate it to sending people to jail because their kids aren't in school or whatever. I mean, obviously wouldn't be in favour of that. But helping parents, terrific. And, and actually, David has the money because you could just take the 600, um, uh, the, the 600 million, uh, sorry, 6 billion that's going to be um, spent on this absurd married couples allowance. The 550. The three pounds a, uh, a week to stay together. And, um, you know, put money into well, Octavius' scheme instead. I'm going to have a little David Dimbleby moment. Who here is, uh, does not like this idea of the married couples thing and thinks it's a mistake? Right. <laughs> and who here is in favour of it? And who here is indifferent? So, so, I, <laughs> so I, 
I think I'm right. In, can we just have that again? Who, who is, who's, who's got a problem with it as a policy? Yeah, majority. No pressure, David, but take that back to the ranch. Um, now, I can't remember your name, but your, a microphone is coming your way. S please say who you are and where you're from and what your view is. Okay, uh, Samuel Kasumi from Elevation Networks, the Youth Fund Employment, particularly with gradu undergraduates. Um, in terms of the marriage tax, in, we're having a conversation about that on Facebook the other day. A young lady put up a status saying... Um, it basically it was rubbish but then my 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 opinion um was that although it might be a little bit of money is it might not just be the money it's more about what it signifies and also as well um i believe like our nation is broken down not just in the sense that the conservatives always talk about but in regards to relationships and a party being seen to promote uh, the positiveness or the positivity sorry of relationships is a good thing in my humble opinion um, but I actually have two questions one is for uh, Lord Freud it's in regards to the welfare to work system you mentioned just now that we have a huge gap when it comes to the un uh, the under skills quote unquote but then the welfare to work system that you championed um, created a, a model that was very 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 much um, performance related so you weren't going to get paid well the large contractors, whatever. You weren't going to get paid if you didn't get someone into work. So how would you uh, allow for the upskilling of young people if people that are um, getting paid to look after them have to get them to work very, very quickly? And then the second question is for Camilla. Um, it's, a qu well, it's actually my essay question <laughs> for my, my, my degree. So um, you can help me out, hopefully. It's in regards to part... <laughs> <laughs> It's during tomorrow, actually. But yeah, it's, if, it, it's it, in regards to youth participation, which has been uh, very big on the Labour Party's uh, agenda. Um, I do some consultancy work for the National Youth Agency, so I know quite a bit about it. But uh, those young people that engage with the youth justice system, is it possible for them to still engage with the idea of youth participation? Or are they excluded? And if it is possible, how would you think it is? possible for them to engage. Camilla um, first, then David. I, I think that's a really important question that you ask, and I want to take it one step um, before your question in order to answer it. When you're a child in these kind of inner city environments, uh, what you notice, your first thing that you notice about the civil structure, i.e., the notion of government and so on, is the contact you have immediately with the agencies that represent government. Children don't differentiate between central government and local authority. Officials are government. Okay, So when you are a 10, 11-year-old and you're being dragged to social services and there's double glazing there, the, the person behind is sitting and they keep telling you they can't do anything about it and the toys are covered with 10 years of dirt and no one's washed them in the sitting room, the books are torn to bits and so on. What you receive from that is that government uh, doesn't really care about you, you know, and you can't see any reason why you should invest in the civil structures because as far as you're concerned from where you are your family and you have not benefited in any way from the civil structures policies or actions 
So it's at these micro moments that children begin to lose respect for uh, political procedures and government, and politicians begin to look like really bad puppets to them that you know don't have any real impact on their lives. So when uh, civil society suddenly thinks that it's good to have youth participation and it sets up children's parliaments and things like that, what it tends to get often is the children and young people who still sustain some kind of a belief in the civil construct. And by virtue of that, they've had more positive experiences of agencies. The God honest truth is that the children who are coming from environments where they're already deeply disappointed with government constructs feel that the participation agenda is yet another con job. Because even if they pull themselves into getting into some kind of discussion somewhere with someone, they don't then see the result. So there is participation fatigue amongst our kids because they don't see any point to it. And therefore, I think there are two different groups in this. One last thing I want to say about parenting. Be very careful about parenting programs because there, there are parenting programs like this that are absolutely brilliant for the parent that needs to be skilled up, but ultimately their emotional life with their child is intact. But the parent who has a primary crisis, which is a rupture in their emotional life with their child, does not benefit from skills parenting. They first need reparation programs to readjust their emotional life before they can sustain their care for their child. So my caution here would be two types of parenting program. One type, skill up. The other type, do the emotional repair that's needed in the first place. David, the welfare to work yeah. point. Yes, Samuel, and, and, and thank you for your support on the uh, symbolism of marriage. Um, <laughs> there's, t there's two answers to, to, to your question. I mean, I'll just do it very quickly. The, w when I started looking at welfare to work, I was, the thing that was most interesting to me was that the target that had been set was that it was enough to get someone into a job for 13 weeks, and that was it. You get your payment and go home. Um, or, or go to your shareholders. Um, this is not what we want as society. We want those people to be in, in, sustained in work. We want them to be in there for the rest of their lives in a job that, in, in a work that they can be happy and flourish in. And so I recommended that the target be changed from out to three years. And if you do that, you start to have to worry about um, in-work mentoring and the training and upskilling that, that that's necessary if you're going to keep someone long term. Now that is the, the generality of the structure and that is now the structure of our work program. But for young people we've, we've done something slightly different. I think it's quite wrong to think of terms, right, we've got a financial, we've got an economic crisis, we haven't got enough jobs, these kids aren't getting jobs, just get them to do something, anything. Uh, this is the most valuable time uh, for youngsters, uh, where they're investing in their career, so to speak, in terms of their time. And we must try and use the time to be of most value to them if there is some downtime in the economy. And uh, so the, here we have, <laughs> I can commit a, a billion or a short billion, because we diverted the train to gain funding 
uh, towards the youngsters, 18 to 25-year-olds, 16 to 25-year-olds, actually. And the idea was that those who can't find a job would go to a provider, and the provider would then make sure the next thing they did was going to be make them more employable. And we put the billion that we put in, the short billion we put in, was in a variety of programs based very heavily on apprenticeships, pre-apprenticeships, work pairing, all those programs, uh, so that... And the provider would be trying to allocate them out and make sure those programs are working because when the, when the kid had finished their, one of the, whatever the training that they were doing or whatever the mix, the work, work, the apprenticeship they were doing, they would be coming back to that provider and that provider would then be able to earn money on, on putting them out into a, into, a, into a job eventually. So we tried to structure a system where the incentives uh, operated so that young people would be spending doing something valuable in this in this downtime period, if there is, if they are unlucky enough to, to have to suffer that period. Okay. Well, we're going to wrap up now. I'm going to uh, ask you all to to say really one closing remark, which is at the end of the next Parliament, whatever the hue of it is, what will success have looked like in regards to children and community, Mary? If you could wave one magic wand and say one tangible thing will have been done what might that be well I would like the focus to be on the youth justice system it seems to me that there are far too many children who are in in prison who need not be um, I think if, if, if the focus were on that then that in turn would give rise to a much more humane form of politics as far as children are concerned and I think that uh, if we could drastically reduce the jail population for uh, the under-21s, and indeed those a bit older too, uh, then that might sort of uh, revolutionise the way that social policy looks. Thank you. David, so your, well, short, your short billion... I've spent that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, what I think is, uh, I'd like to go back to um, the point that Camilla was, was talking about at the beginning where she was talking about her centre and how she wanted the support uh, for that. And I think that is exactly the point that David Cameron's been trying to push through with the big society. We can try and deal with this problem through kind of a f formal state structures or we can try and encourage the vibrancy of centres like this uh, run by inspirational people uh, with a lot of volunteering uh, you know, embedded into the system uh, locked into the local community we can go um, we can either try and do it on a state basis and, and, and my firm belief is that will not work you cannot get that kind of effort and endeavour on that basis or you can try and create it uh, outside um, in the, in the way that Camilla has so successfully done. Uh, and I think that um, it would be a sign of real success if we were able to spread these kind of models at, frankly, a fraction of the cost uh, that it would be if it was done through the kind of a statist approach. And I think this is exactly the example uh, that, that David Cameron has been, uh, you know, been pushing across. And I think there's one other point, too, and, and, and again... Um, this is, I think, one of the fundamental failures of government in recent years. Uh, we, 
and, and, and Labour has been trying to solve a lot of the, these social problems. It's not because they haven't been trying to do it, but we all feel that it's just, you know, we are not getting, uh, we're not, and, and Jonathan Bradshaw said this about child well-being, you know, we're spending, we're spending as much as anyone else, we're just not getting as good a return for our money. And I would blame the way that funding comes out of departments to a, for a specific function, for a specific uh, um, end. But the reality is you've got a holistic problem. You've got a, a family or a community that needs all its problems tackled at the same time. So it's no good coming with a bit of education here, a bit of health there, a bit of welfare to work there, all separately. You've got to combine these things. And I do think that um, I don't think we'll have done this in four years. But trying to move away from the siloed uh, approach of funding so that we're getting um, uh, holistic solutions for communities. And, and, and I do think this is another way in which the big society work. You can get groups like Kids Company working holistically and get the funding streams through them and then they merge them and operate holistically. So I think in four years... Um, we'd be lucky to have a national system by that, but I think if we can start entrenching some of those approaches uh, by then, I think that would, and, and proving that that is the way to go, I think that would be a really good outcome. Thank you. And Camilla? Um, I'm very grateful to you that you're thinking this way, and my dream would be that we get round to having uh, an intellectual shift the reason the majority of these programs are not working is because we haven't really thought about the, what makes a child disturbed. If we could just really think and stop punishing these children for their disturbance, really think how does disturbance get created, we might develop clinical intellectual property that would be really effective. So my dream is that I know at Kids Company the staff, and there are 336 staff here, and there are 5,600 volunteers. We're a clinical placement. We get social work students and psychotherapy students doing their work experience here. We've got 320 of them. We've got 1,000 mentors. Volunteering absolutely works, but provided they're the paid staff, to manage the volunteer and manage the children. So I'll do volunteering for you. I'll do holistic work, but give me the money. <laughs> well, on that note, um, I give the equivalent of less than half a manicure a month to kids' company. And uh, it's a good feeling. And I recommend it. If any of you are inclined to do it directly, that's great. Um, because I am a businesswoman, any of you who've not yet joined our networking club, if any of you are inclined to do so, we will give £100 for every member who joins as a result of coming to this meeting at any time before the end of May to Kids Company. So, and we Thank will make it clear which ones of you have uh, or you could just give a hundred pounds directly to kids company and not join our club and we would also be happy 
Um, I would like to thank Read in Partnership. I think they are one of the uh, most interesting and innovative businesses working in this area. They, they, uh, I'm sure you're well acquainted with their work. Um, I would like to thank all of Camilla's team who've accommodated us this morning. I'm sure it's detracted from their usual work. I know they were anxious that all us poshies would mind dreadfully that the coffee machine blew up or something, but we didn't mind at all. Do you know what? It wasn't ours. It was imported it was ours. in. Uh, I would... Plain kettle. Yeah. Exactly. And we said plain kettle is good. I'd really like to thank Lucy and Emma and Polly and my team at EI and Robin who's filming it and Dave who's podcasting it and all of you for coming. And I think there's a little bit more tea and orange juice and croissants. And Camilla is here. And thank you very much to Mary Riddell, David Freud, Lord Freud, and Camilla Batmangela, and to you. Thank you. Sorry. It's good. It's very good.